0: Yo, 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 yo! Welcome to Business Casual. It is a wonderful Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And today, we're not joined with Tyler Kern, the Pod Father, the soundbite surgeon. He is at Fabtech, uh, doing some great content with ARC Specialties, I believe. And so instead, we are joined by... Our trusty journalist galore, Mr. Jeffrey Short. Jeff, welcome
1: back to Business Casual. How yep. you doing? Always great to fill in for Tyler. The soundbite, what was it, the soundbite surgeon? Surgeon, yeah. Normally I'm the one that gets a great nickname from Tyler, so I'm glad to see that you know, <laughs> he's getting his due as well yeah. in the department. That's you know, a pretty he, good one.
0: He needs one to stick, and I've been trying <laughs> different ones, and, you know, I don't know. None of them are, like, Catching on quite yet. I mean, there's the Colonel as right, well.
1: That's the tried and true one. What's I mean, yours? Well, that's the funny thing that you just said. You're looking for one to stick. He gives me a different one every single time. Every time. So, <laughs> there's no sticking, but there's yeah. just a constant uh, bevy of nicknames. So. There's
0: something there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Mr. Jeff, we've got a big show coming up. Why don't you tell the folks? listening along for business casual on this Wednesday morning what we're going to be chatting today
1: yeah a lot of big news out of some of the biggest companies in the world which is always exciting to see what those movers and shakers are up to so we have a great interview coming up at 9 15 with kiri masters she is a ceo and founder of Bob Sled marketing and a forbes contributor who really specializes on all things amazon so to tease a little bit about what we're speaking with her about uh, Amazon is opening a conventional grocery store which is uh, pretty eye-catching because they already have Whole Foods you know um, they have you know they expanded into a million different places but you know what they expand into oftentimes seems to be these futuristic things and it's you know oh a regular grocery store okay so we're gonna find out a little bit more as to what they see there um, you know we have A drone story, which is always exciting as well. I know we do a lot of drone coverage, so that world never ceases to amaze and stop. And Disney Plus, so everyone has been looking forward to that for a long time. And yesterday was the big reveal, so we're going to talk a little bit about that as well.
0: It's going to be a good one. It is a packed show, my friend. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Mm -hmm. Story number one. We're going to be chatting a little bit about the... FAA's first approved long-distance drone flight. So what's different about this drone flight versus other drone flights we've seen in the past? This one had absolutely no manned personnel and it had uh, no oversight. It was 100% automated flying solely with onboard drone collision avoidance systems. And this drone was sent off by Iris Automation, and it uh, was a flight that took place in Kansas. And really what this means is that, uh, you know, after some rigorous testing, we are finally at a point where drones potentially could be hitting the skies in a way more automated fashion and in a way more commercial
1: fashion. Uh, What about the story really stood out to you, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, you touched on it, of course, but it says no ground-based radar or visual observer took place, or sorry, is what happened really. So no ground-based radar, and there's no visual observer. So those are huge developments for commercial drone delivery, in my opinion, just because you're not going to be able to scale these so much more. Um, It said in the article and just in the news that the automated drone that used the of thereof, I guess, of the uh, ground-based radar or visual observer Mm -hmm. outperformed a human flight by, uh, you know, 95% of the time. So Mm. that's pretty impressive. I know we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, is 95% enough, actually? It should be 100% before we're ready to go. But um, we've talked on previous business casuals, actually, about how companies like CVS and UPS have partnered up to... You know, starting on, like, hospital campuses, just short flights there. But this is something that without having a human involved, you could really fly these for miles and miles. And companies in the e-commerce space especially should be really excited about that.
0: That, you know, the the actual companies that are taking on this initiative, you know, I think it's pretty bold that they – are investing so much time and energy into this, but you know it also makes sense. Um, specifically, the CVS um, medical supplies mm-hmm. or um, prescription drug uh, argument and potential um, opportunity there is definitely the one that sparks my interest the most. Uh, a, because I think it's extremely practical, but B, uh, because I think there's also a lot of challenges there. Um, Especially if you don't have a manned flight, you are relying 100% on automated sensors uh, and you are carrying potentially Mm life-saving antibiotics, medications, any kind of prescription drug. You know, you got to be pretty 100% there, not 95% that yeah. if, if you're going to be getting um, your pills delivered via drone, that they're actually going to arrive, they're going to arrive intact, and they're going to arrive on time. So, you know, I, you brought it up briefly, but, um, you know, the, the fact that it's 95% beating out the uh, manned operated drone. You know, it's definitely uh, (laughs) a big number. I mean, 95% is not something to scoff at, and, uh, you know, I think most people would point to that and say, okay, yeah, this is a growing piece of technology, it is an exciting piece of technology, and something that I think we can bring to market, but I also don't know if – If there's any more we could do, I mean, the FAA signed off on this. They are, you know, 95% to them was enough to warrant this first test. But if we go full scale with something like this, is a 95% success rate good enough? Does that mean out of every 100 drones, you're going to have five that malfunction and crash? Right. Is that good enough? Is that a standard that we as consumers or, um, you know, as companies potentially benefiting from these services are going to be happy with? I'm not sure. I mean, because it's so
1: new, it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, I think one thing that's been encouraging to me, actually, is um, with something like, I think it's either CVS or Walgreens. I don't have it right in front of me, but they're taking this actually a little bit slower than um, you might see out of just a, a huge company that's just looking for every edge. So I actually don't think they're sending things like prescriptions yet because they know... Okay, we can't be sending something as important as prescriptions unless we know it's guaranteed to to reach the end user. And you said ninety five percent is something to scoff at, but think about the debate over like airplanes, where you could right. say, Okay, well, maybe we don't need pilots, we can just automate it. If you said ninety five percent, people would say, I'm <laughs> never getting on a plane again, right, right? Right. So you you brought up a good point. It comes down to, like, our consumers, and I guess the companies are ultimately going to make the decision, but are they comfortable with that 95% number? You know, if my Amazon package got to me 95% of the time just in regular ground delivery, I'd still be pretty happy, I feel like, for the most part. I'd say, you know, I'm still going to order off Amazon. So, I mean, the truth it, is— It like, depends, though, yeah. It depends yeah. what you're getting. Maybe if it gets to the point where we're at prescriptions, yeah. 95%, I don't know. Right. Maybe I, if I miss one prescription— I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. Then I can't. I can't say 95% is good enough. Right. But if it's me getting my book, I'm pretty happy with 95%. So we'll see how it all shakes out. The different kind of companies that yeah. are in these or um, looking at these investments with drones, because there's a big difference between just getting maybe whether it's your groceries or a book and serious medical, um, you know, medications, prescriptions, things like that. So. Um, it's progressing quickly, but I do feel confident that they are taking the right steps to make sure that they don't get out in front of their skis, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, if anything, you'd hope the potential PR catastrophe of rolling something out that isn't yep. ready for market would keep pause to companies that feel like, okay, the market is, is there. You know, I want to mm-hmm. capitalize on it. We can turn a profit here. It's time. You know, you'd you'd hope the potential nightmare that could come from yeah. five out of every hundred drones crashing and burning, right. and who knows what happens, um, you know, keeping them from rolling something out that isn't ready. So yep. we'll uh, we'll have to see how this continues to play out. Uh, commercial drones, I think, in the future are going to be mostly used for disaster relief and public safety first. Yeah, that's um, good. which is you know great, and also. Um, Potentially where we could see the most necessity for 100% reliability. So uh, we'll have to see how states like North Carolina, how states like Kansas continue to roll out some of these drone initiatives. So exciting stuff. All right. Next up, we got to talk Apple a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I feel like all our stories today (laughs) are really hitting on the big namers, um, which, you know, sometimes you can't avoid it. Sometimes there's some big news coming from the top down. All right, Apple is really digging into VR, really digging into AR, and uh, the wearable side of Apple technologies could potentially be a boost for the company after some declining iPhone sales. So, in 2021 or 2022, basically in the near future, Apple's planning to release a combined VR and AR headset. So, a wearable piece of tech um, with a focus on gaming on uh, video and streaming as well as a b2b aspect of virtual meetings and uh, hopefully you know I'm or i guess they think hopefully that this would be used not just as a consumer mm-hmm. piece of tech but potentially as a business piece of technology um so w- as you were digging into this story jeff what'd you find that really stood out to you
1: yeah i think you touched on it just there at the end the business application so I think ARVR headsets, they've been around for a decent amount of time already, but um, really in the last, I feel like the year or so, um, like Snapchat, Facebook, Google, Apple, and probably Amazon as well, have been really digging into ARVR as sort of the future of connectivity and socializing. But Apple here, this news, I think it was originally reported in the Wall Street Journal, and I'm not sure that Apple has officially announced anything. But the idea that it could be used in a business setting, I think, is really exciting. Um, Just being able to connect and run meetings more flawlessly within an office or between offices. You know, people walking around the street, if it's a Snapchat, ARVR headset, you know, it's fun, whatever. But I don't know if that's a revolutionary change. Um, This could be a big business change. And we've already seen – we've had articles on our site, actually, that have talked about how this can be used as a – potential training tool for people that say a mechanic, you're able to really just get a great view of, of under the hood of a car, you can label the pieces in your eyes, you know, so there's no confusion as to what I'm looking at on a different model of a car, so, you know, things like that. So right. those can really drive business um, to make them faster, uh, more successful, more efficient. So I think that's something that is really success or really exciting to me. And the connectivity with other devices is just going to continue. People. Already now, can connect their Apple Watch, to their phone, to their laptop, and mm-hmm. all that. So we'll see how the headset kind of weaves into that world. But that's another thing that it looks like, according to this Bloomberg article that touched on this, that they're already developing.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know they're they're really building out an entire OS infrastructure right. for this as well. Um, the engineering teams for uh, the iPhone and the iPad are looking to create. That sort of interconnectivity that you're talking about, but with AR, VR, and 3D technology, um, potentially dubbing it ROS, I guess mm-hmm. you know Reality OS or something, which which is cool. Not you confirmed. Know, I, yeah, not not confirmed. <laughs> not confirmed. Um, so you know we'll we'll see whether that is actually uh, actually part of the dealio, um, if we see that kind of interconnectivity. But uh, you know, on a greater sense, um, I I think. I think this investment in wearables is interesting because it really highlights that, you know, the iPhone isn't, I think, as, um, how do you put it, as consistent as we might hope, right? It's not the 100% piece of tech that will drive sales for Apple all the way. Um, They're going to need to invest in something more, uh, in something like, your AirPods or right. your Apple uh, Watch and anything beyond that. Um, and, uh, you know, I I think what's fantastic about something like, like an AR VR headset is that I think it opens up the opportunity to make it fashion in a way <laughs> that, uh, you know, we haven't really seen AR and VR headsets done before because apple as much as it is a functional piece of technology it is also uh often associated with you know a, yeah. a, a status or a look and you know there's a sleek look to an apple watch and right. i mean when airpods first came out people were like those look dumb and now people wear them as like a fashion <laughs> statement yeah, as yeah. well so i wonder will the arvr headset eventually make its way into, like, the literal public and how you... I mean, I'm sure you're not going to be covering your eyes when you're out walking around. I mean, who knows? Who knows what the gear's actually going to be? Um, But, you know, it it potentially could make a statement for VR and AR that we haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's what's most exciting about this. And I think what should be most exciting for consumers um, because, I mean, it could just be another way to... Join the Apple gang. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah.
1: All
0: right. Jeff, that does it for this story. We're going to be taking a quick little break. When we come back, we're going to be chatting with Kiri Masters, founder and CEO of Bobsled Marketing. Kiri is also a Forbes contributor on all things Amazon. We're going to be breaking down Amazon's new grocery store in Woodland Hills, California, coming in 2020. We're going to be chat. Uh, ta- excuse me. Wow, I'm tripping up <laughs> all over myself today. We're going to be chatting a little bit about the impact – of an amazon brick and mortar presence why they decided to invest in this um, and how this correlates with their whole foods investment so we'll be right back stick around with us folks
1: today's content is brought to you by market scale do you run a b2b business nobody creates more podcasts videos case studies and blogs for b2b marketers like you than market scale ask us how we can help you today
2: Have you ever thought to yourself, podcasts are pretty cool. I should use one to market my company. Good news, you're not alone. But where do you start? MarketScale's Thought Leadership Club makes it easy to dive into the world of B2B podcasting. With in-house podcast production, audio hosting, and more, MarketScale can be your podcast partner that sets you up as a thought leader in your industry, creating the content that powers B2B. For more information, head to MarketScale.com and find out what thousands of companies already know to be true, that podcasting is the future of thought leadership in B2B marketing. All
0: right, Mr. Jeff, we're back in action. So, Amazon is opening up a grocery store surprising right this is not a whole foods partnership it is an amazon brick and mortar presence this is opening up in 2020 in woodland hills california this was confirmed by an amazon spokesperson to get some thoughts on this we're going to be chatting with kiri masters founder and ceo of bobsled marketing kiri great to have you on the line how are you doing today
2: hey guys i'm doing very well thank
0: you yeah absolutely all right, so this is an interesting development for Amazon, um, specifically because they're not using the Amazon Go technology that has gotten so much press coverage and so much attention in the retail space over the last several years. Again, for people listening, Amazon Go tech is basically what has allowed for uh, cashier lists and basically staffless stores. stores. Uh, you can go in, and with RFID codes and with scanners, you can just... Pull walk, walk in, walk, out, walk, in, though, walk yeah. out with your tech and it'll charge you. <laughs> this is not that. This is a conventional checkout, um, you know, stocked like a Kroger, stocked like an Albertsons. So Kiri, what are your initial thoughts on this investment from Amazon? Why do you think they did it?
2: Well, there's a couple of things. I think that this shows that Amazon's really serious about grocery and their current footprint with Whole Foods. Puts them at about 500 stores, where they need about 2,000 stores to be a legitimate um, competitor in the grocery game. So this could be uh, an effort to expand um, more fully into conventional groceries you said, without uh, using the Whole Foods brand to do so. Yeah,
1: um, I, in reading a little bit about this news, Kiri, I was seeing that this is maybe an opportunity to increase customer loyalty, and I know that e-commerce companies, when you're not face-to-face with your local neighborhood person at the register or wherever, it might be a little bit difficult to grow customer loyalty, so does Amazon have generally good customer loyalty, and uh, is this, in fact, a, a good opportunity for them to increase
2: that? Yeah, I think the customer loyalty piece is, is a big one. I think that Amazon, more so than many other private companies, public companies and even utilities, has great loyalty and great cut through, especially in the U.S. uh, households with their Prime program. But I think the story that hasn't really been discussed in a lot of detail is how much extra data this is going to give Amazon. And Amazon is They might be, you know, in the fulfillment game and in the retail game, but they're primarily a technology company that's relying on data to, um, you know, run their advertising business, cross-sell other products and everything. So how I think that this is going to play out is they're going to have some kind of tie-in with Prime, just like you do with Whole Foods. You can go into Whole Foods and get a a discount on some items as a Prime member. There's absolutely going to be that kind of um, tie in. So you could go into the store, you might be able to back order stuff from the website to be shipped for you for free if it's not available in the store. You can be sold upsold and Alexa device so that now Amazon's also in your home listening to your voice search queries and listening about your habits. And then also from the store, Amazon's gonna get more data than they already do about your purchasing habits so that they know you have a dog at home and a baby at home and you must also have a garden because you bought a lawn care product once which using all this data they can turn around and promote more relevant products to you online and also it means that um, advertisers can target um, shoppers based on their past um, shopping activity based on those data points as well.
0: So, you know, what's what's interesting about Amazon is that though they dominate and are mostly known for their e-commerce presence, their online sales aren't really the profit engine for the company. Um, it's their Amazon Web Services that often generates the most income. I um, mean, this has been the trend since 2016. Is an investment into something like Amazon Grocery in a way that is this focus where, you know, you say we're expanding from 500 Whole Foods to potentially 2,000 stores that are Amazon branded nationwide. Is this another attempt to expand, you know, how they turn a profit? And do you see this being an investment that is profit motivated, you know, in that it, this is one that's really going to bring in more revenue for the company, or is this more of a branding initiative? You know, they're willing to potentially lose money on this venture because of the expansion into a new market.
2: Well, grocery is is widely known to be razor thin profit margins and very capital intensive. So I really don't think that they're going into this for, for income. I think that they're going into this Play for loyalty to capture market share from their number one arch nemesis, Walmart, whose main uh, claim to fame right now is is their big store network. So if Amazon can come in and, and bring in a new store format that's more accessible, um, more, you know, uh, universal, then they're going to be able to capture some market share from um, from Walmart potentially. And it's also about data as well. I, I really don't think that they would go into... Um, Grocery, a grocery store format to
0: produce more income. And then, final quick question for you
2: What does
0: this mean for some of our smaller grocers? Um, you know, even our, our Kroger's, our Albertsons, um, HEB's. You know, I mean, they're not small entities at all. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, they're not Walmart's and they're definitely not Amazons. So, how should they be reacting to news like this? You know, are other grocers going to have to um, basically kick it into overhaul to maintain their market share um, to survive in this climate? You know, what, what are your thoughts there?
2: Mm, that's a good question. Uh, there's still so much that we don't know about this store format. We don't know, for example, what their assortment's going to look like. Is it going to be all grocery, or is it going to include also hard lines as well? Um, and we, we don't know exactly what the branding is going to look like too. So in, until we get more details, we don't know how those other stores should really um, ultimately compete. But one thing that we do know is, is Amazon is – it's a volume player – It's not so much about the experience and so just in in general when we're talking about how brick and mortar retail can um compete against amazon my go-to is always think about what dimensions you can compete on that amazon can't and it might be things like having a local assortment which has really been um you know downplayed since the whole foods acquisition Um, there's not so much local assortment in stores anymore and uh, offering some you know, unique events, customer service, differentiators, things like that.
0: All right, Kiri Masters, founder and CEO of Bobsled Marketing and Forbes contributor on all things Amazon. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure getting to chat. Thank you. All right, Jeff, last point for today's show Disney Plus. We had to talk about it. I mean, come <laughs> yeah, on. We yeah. had to. Um, Mandalorian came out on there. Fun new uh, Star Wars show that I'm super excited to watch. I haven't purchased my subscription yet. Kind of holding out. I'm, I'm waiting to see. Well, you got to wait for uh, the rollout t- <laughs> yeah. issue to be fixed. I yeah. think it is, but it's kind of funny that you walked right into that. <laughs> I know. All right, Jeff.
1: Fill in the audience. What's happening with Disney Plus? Yeah, I mean, yesterday... Was a huge day for Disney in general. After months and maybe even over a year of marketing and planning and announcements, Disney Plus did come to market yesterday, but it wasn't without issue. Uh there were some login problems for people. So the site was simply overwhelmed. I mean, which is a it's a good and a bad problem. I mean, Disney said they're surprised with just how many people immediately purchased the subscription service, which goes for seven dollars a month or twelve ninety-nine when they bundle it with their other properties, ESPN Plus and Hulu. So it in a good way for them, it wasn't a streaming error. It wasn't like the content just could not buffer, could not get from the servers to the consumers. It was simply just their login website it was just overwhelmed right. um, and crashed. I think it's been largely uh, figured out. So that's that's. it's not a great first impression at first, but I mean in the grand scheme of things. I don't think people will really remember that as the lasting legacy of Disney Plus. Right. But in general, there's a lot to unpack here. It's Disney is in a unique position compared to what are now its big rivals really in like Netflix, Amazon um, TV, and HBO, all these streaming services. Because they, A, have always been on cable. So they that's been their model. And they have this library, so they have to balance how much of our library do we push? Which obviously, pretty much everything that they've done is going to be on ES or Disney Plus. Right. But how much do they market that and say, "Hey, we just have this great library, check it out"? Versus how much do they invest in new shows like The Mandalorian? But then they also have these other issues where, you know, what do you do with ESPN live sports? You know, Netflix doesn't have anything live, and mm-hmm. Hulu can kind of, all well, they you know own Hulu, but right. you know, Netflix is all original content and picking up these licensed properties, but ESPN is this wild card. So they have to still figure, okay, we have a cable interest with ESPN, but we also want people to basically, they're basically saying we we are in favor of people cutting the cord and just coming onto Disney plus. So that's a pretty seismic shift in just the cable industry. Um, and it's just gonna be interesting to see how they balance kind of the library with new content. And what do they do with a property like ESPN that still does sort of depend on, you know, that live presence? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a great point. And
0: uh, Netflix, I think, has really been leaning in the owned content versus Mm -hmm. library direction, which is totally opposite from what they originally were. Right. Um, You know, Netflix has we did a story about this uh, a few weeks ago. They're investing billions in original content, owned mm-hmm. content, because of Disney Plus. And because Disney Plus is really pushing, yeah, we've got a great library, but we've got all these Marvel shows, we've got all these yeah. Star Wars shows, we've got all this really unique, fresh stuff coming your way. So, you know, which one is going to be the profit driver? Um, and will will something like a Disney Plus, because of the breadth of content on there, including a Hulu and an ESPN, combo will that push people away from an amazon tv an Am- yeah. or, or excuse me um uh, an apple tv or an amazon prime or a netflix i'm not sure um, yeah. because if you're paying for all of those you're almost plus paying. hbo you're, <laughs> yeah. you're paying for cable right <laughs> i saw a great tweet it was like oh someone's going to come up with an awesome idea to put make all, all of these universal thing. and right. put it on a a, a <laughs> box where yeah. we can look at scheduled content (laughs) and it's like yep that's it's cable television so you know it's it's a strange dynamic that we're in right now as this develops um and i i'm a fan of getting this content i wonder if this is going to push you know the famed piracy of Mm. online content back into the fray in a way that I, i think has kind of calmed down because of streaming will everything being owned by a ton of your different providers mm-hmm. force people not force but encourage you know bad actors to get out yeah. there and, and torrent something i don't know it's an interesting point i think it's an interesting conversation but we'll see jeff we're out of time i know always we've, we've got tyler direct. at FabTech. he'll be coming back soon but till then thanks again everyone for listening along this has been business cash adios